as we saw last week, Peter asserts that when we speak of the Lord's powerful coming, we are not following myths. We are not following things that are made up, things that are not true. Well, how do we know that? How do we know that we are not following myths and things that are not true? Last week, we considered that there are two reliable sources that give us the truth about the credibility of the teaching regarding the Lord's return. Two credible sources. The first are the eyewitness accounts of the apostles. Peter, James, and John were all present on the mount when Jesus was transfigured before them. They saw with their own eyes, his face shining like the sun, and his clothing made bright light. Tells us in verse 16 that we, referring to Peter, James, and John, were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter, James, and John heard with their own ears the very voice of God who said of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased given to us in verses 17 and 18. Verse 18 says, We ourselves heard this very voice come from heaven. So they were sure of what they had seen and what they had heard. But now we have something that's quite startling. For they give us a statement in verse 19 that teaches us that we can have even greater confidence in the scriptures than we can have in eyewitness accounts and even in things that we see with our own eyes and hear with our own ears. More confidence in the scriptures than what we personally see and hear. Tells us in verse 19 that we have the prophetic word made more fully confirmed. NIS says... So we have the prophetic word made more sure. More sure than what? Answer, the things that are seen with one's own eyes and one's own ears. We can have more confidence in the scripture than what is seen with the eye and what is heard with the ear. How can that be? How can that be? Why are the scriptures more reliable than eyewitness accounts? Well, the answer is that the scriptures do not have the limitations and liabilities that are associated with eyewitness accounts. Let me say that again. The scriptures do not have the liabilities and limitations that are associated with eyewitness accounts. The theme this morning is the reasons why the scriptures do not have the limitations and liabilities that are associated with negative, excuse me, with eyewitness accounts. And as we look at this passage, we're going to see negative reasons and positive reasons. As we begin, the first reason that the scriptures do not have the limitations and liabilities that are associated with eyewitness accounts is because the scriptures are not the result of the individual's own take on things. Look at verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, 
that no prophecy of Scripture, not one, not a single portion of God's Word, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, meaning one's own take on what they have seen and what they have heard. There are limitations and liabilities that are associated with the things that we see and hear. Take, for example, the things that people see with their own eyes. Sometimes our eyes deceive us. Sometimes we think that we have seen things that actually were wrong. We didn't think, we didn't see what we thought we saw. We can't always be certain of what we have seen. Oftentimes, eyewitness accounts conflict with each other. You have a crowd of people, and as they give an account of what took place, they have conflicting stories of what they have seen and what they have heard. One person thinks they saw one thing. Another person thinks that they have seen something different. Furthermore, we often don't fully understand the significance of what we have seen. Take, for example, being outside in the middle of the night, a nice dark evening, and all of a sudden you see this bright light just flash through the sky. What is that light? Is it a meteor? Is it a star? Is it an airplane? Is it an alien spaceship coming from another planet to spy out our activities? Many people will come to different conclusions of what they have seen and what they have heard in a similar fashion. We, don't, we can't always rely upon what we have heard. Once again, we can be uncertain as to what was said. Our hearing can be impaired or our memories can be faulty. And over a period of time, we aren't sure what was heard or what was said. There are a host of reasons why we might question what a person has actually seen and heard. And even though we might think that we are quite, quite certain, if we have that unpleasant situation of sitting in a witness chair in a courtroom, being grilled by a prosecuting attorney, we may find out that we are not quite as sure as we thought we were of the things that we have heard and we have seen. There are limitations that are upon us because of our own humanness. However, the scriptures are not the result of a person's take on things. Where it tells us in verse 20 that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So we find out the scriptures are not merely an individual's perspective on what has taken place. The scriptures are not simply the product of an individual's knowledge, insight, or understanding of the material that they convey. What is being said is not an outcome of their own faculties. As a matter of fact, oftentimes, the writers of Scripture don't even understand what it is that they are saying, what the significance is, what the impact is. In the book of Daniel, for example, Daniel says this, 
I heard, referring to this revelation that God had given to him, I heard, but I didn't understand. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall the outcome of these things be? Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. I don't understand what this means. You don't have to understand what it means, Daniel. It's not dependent upon you. The reason scriptures do not have the limitations and liabilities that are associated with eyewitness accounts is because the scriptures are not the result of the individual's own initiative. Look at verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, meaning that it was authored out of that own individual's desire to speak. Sometimes, when people make statements or predictions, they have an agenda. They have an end that they want to see accomplished. They have a a purpose, a reason for saying what they say. Well, we find out that the prophets did not take it upon themselves to speak for God. Prophecy is not the result of what a writer wants to see happen. Prophecy is not the result of what a writer thinks should happen. Prophecy is not the result of what a writer thinks is going to happen, like a weather forecast. Prophecy is not the result of is a result of what God declares will happen. Let me say that again. Prophecy is a result of what God declares will happen. They are not the product of one's own initiative. But the initiative comes from God. Look at verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God. Men spoke from God. That is, they did not take it upon themselves to speak the word of God. God had called the people who spoke and wrote his word. God called the prophets to speak and to write his word as seen in the book of Jeremiah. Now I'm going to give you some examples of things of which the Word of God bears testimony to, as it teaches us about its coming to us. First, if you turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 1. We're going to be looking at a number of portions of Scripture this morning. I invite you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1. This is the way that we are introduced to the prophet Jeremiah, and to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1, reading at verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who are Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. Now verse 2. To whom the word of the Lord came. So God's word came to Jeremiah. The days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign, it, referring to God's word, came also. In the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. 
Verse 4, now the word of the Lord came to me saying. So three times we have this assertion that God's word came to him. And now he is going to speak what God's word was that came to him. Verse 4, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So here is this aspect of not speaking of his own initiative. He didn't make himself a prophet. God ordained him to be a prophet, even before Jeremiah was born. So Jeremiah is completely passive in this uh, responsibility of declaring the word of God. God word came to him. God said, I have appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Verse 6, then I said, ah, oh Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. The Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. Here again, the initiative is on the part of God, not on the part of the prophet. To whom I shall send you, you shall go. And now, these important words, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. That's your message. Jeremiah, you don't have to worry about not knowing what to say. In fact, it's not up to you what you are going to say. I command, will command you what you shall speak. So the Initiative is in, on the part of God. Furthermore, the prophets did not take it upon themselves not only what to say, but also what to write. They were not writing their words and thoughts, but rather they were writing God's words and thoughts. So thence the scriptures are not merely the words of men, but they are the words of God. God called the prophets to speak and to write. In the book of Revelation, that's the next place we're going, there are 14 commands to write. I want to draw your attention to a few of them. So now going to the last book of the Bible, book of Revelation, if you turn there, and we'll look at some passages. Remember, there are 14 such passages. I'm only going to look at a few. First, Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. The command is to write the words of the Son of God. Look at verse 18 of chapter 2. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write. So here is the command of the Son of God. The words of the Son of God. The words of the risen Savior. Who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Write the words of the Son of God. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, verse 7.
And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, that, this, is the, this is to whom these words are to be sent, but they are spoken to the apostle John. And to the angel in the church, write. This is what the apostle John is to do. Write. The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David. Again, referring to God. But notice how God is referred to. The Holy One, the true one, the one who speaks the truth, the one whose assessment is right as he's going to be talking about the condition of the church at Thyra Tyra, the one whose words can be trusted, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens, the authoritative word of God. Lastly, turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. And he who is seated on the throne said, again, there is no question as to whom is speaking. It is God, the one who is sitting on the throne. All through the book of Revelation, the one who is sitting on the throne is God. Notice, God said, write, verse 5. And he who is seated in the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. <laughs> write this down. Here's this aspect that it wasn't coming from the initiative of the Apostle John, God is telling him, write this down. And then notice how these words are characterized at the end of verse 5 of chapter 21. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You can rely on these words. These words can be trusted. They are trustworthy they are true. Well, that's great and that's wonderful to say that the scriptures are not of one's own interpretation. It's not simply their take or perspective on things. And it doesn't come with their own initiative, not their agenda, not what they want to see done or their appraisal of what is taking place. But it's rather God who is telling them to write and it's God giving them their uh, marching orders, as it were, as to what to say, what to speak, what, what to do. But how is that achieved? How can that be the case? Well, the reason scriptures do not have the limitations and liabilities that are associated with eyewitness accounts is because the scriptures come ultimately from God and not from humans. The scriptures come ultimately from God, not from humans. The humans are simply instruments through whom the word of God comes. And then we ask the question, well, how can that be? How can God use human agents that are free of the limitations that are associated with their humanity? How can God communicate through men things that they don't understand or, or things that they would not perceive on their own. 
Well, we must keep in mind the working of the Holy Spirit when we think of the scriptures coming to us through the agency of human beings. Look at verse 21. Back to 2 Peter. 2 Peter 1.21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God. And now we have this delineation of what that means, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the reason why they spoke from God. So we need to unpack that to be sure. We need to understand, first of all, that the Word of God came to the prophets in a variety of ways. Tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, that long ago, at many times, and in many ways, many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. We need to understand that when it says that God spoke, it means that God communicated his word to the prophets. The manner in which the word came to the prophets was not the important thing, but rather that it was God speaking through the prophet that is important. For it tells us in Hebrews 1.1 that God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Again, it is not how he spoke, but the fact that he spoke. That is that what was said and written is God's word. So we can say that the scriptures are God's word. No matter how, that came. And we know that God communicated through visions and dreams and even lots and Urim and Thummim in many, many different ways. But the outcome is the Word of God. Again, we ask ourselves, well, well how can that be? Well, let's consider what else we know about the way in which God's word is communicated. 2 Timothy 3.16, a verse that many people have memorized. King James, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Not just a portion of it, not just elements of it, but all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Of God. But what does that mean? What does it mean that it's given by the inspiration of God? The ESV and the NIV translate it as all scripture is God breathed. God breathed. Now that is a literal translation. That is what the Greek would communicate. It is God-breathed. What does that mean? It is God-breathed. 
Well, it means that it is imparted from God. It is imparted from God. The word breath is even the word spirit. It is God by his, his spirit imparting something to someone. Now, and better to understand this concept, you don't need to turn there, but in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we read this. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. How was it that man came to life? Answer, God imparted life to Adam and Eve. He breathed into them. The word that the Septuagint would use for what is in our text. It's simply saying that God imparted by his spirit his word. It doesn't tell us how. It, it tells us the reality of it. That it doesn't explain how life was imparted to Adam and Eve. It's the fact that it took place. He breathed and they lived. He breathed and they received the word of God. The scriptures are imparted through the Holy Spirit. Now, let's go back to first, uh, 2 Peter again. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. And we look at the illustration that's give us, given to us in the text of the illustration of how the Holy Spirit's role in overcoming any human limitations in the imparting of God's word is that of a ship at sea. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but God, but man spoke from God, now here's the explanation, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, or the NAS says, and, but men moved by the Holy Spirit. This word carried along is a nautical term. It's a naval term. The picture is of a ship that is at sea. And this is even more notable as you think of the New Testament era in which this is written, when ships didn't have powerful diesel engines as they have today and didn't have the ability to uh, thrust themselves forward, but were dependent upon the winds and the sea. The picture is that of a ship at sea that's driven by the winds, waves, and currents to their ultimate destination. A ship had a rudder, but often the wind and the waves overrode any ability of that ship to steer itself. And the winds and the waves would often drive that ship off course. Sometimes it was shipwrecked. Sometimes it was just laid to rest on a beach. 
not where that ship was intending to go at all. But it was helpless. It was at the beckoning of the winds and the sea. The scripture uses that as an illustration of the people who were moved by the Holy Spirit to speak, to write his word. Like a ship that is driven by the winds and the sea, they were driven by the Holy Spirit so that where they end up is where God wants them to end up. What, what they say is what God wanted them to say. What they communicate is what God wanted to be communicated. God's purpose is fulfilled. It speaks to the idea that the scriptures, that the writers of the scriptures were so controlled by the Holy Spirit that they communicated exactly what God wanted to be communicated. Now it's time to go back to the scriptures again, this time to Isaiah chapter 55, if you turn with me there. Isaiah chapter 55. How God overcomes the limitations of human beings as he imparts his word. Isaiah chapter 55, we are going to start at verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So it depicts the limitations of one's own understanding. Our thoughts, our greatest thoughts, cannot compare to the thoughts of God. Our thoughts are limited. Our thoughts are of the things that we can see and hear. Our thoughts are limited by what we are able to perceive. But even what we perceive isn't what God can perceive and what God knows. His knowledge is far extensive than ours. In the book of Corinthians, it says, No eye has seen nor ear has heard the things that God has prepared for them who love him, but they are revealed by his Spirit. It isn't a matter of what we see and hear with our own eyes and ears. God has to reveal them by his spirit, and he's revealed them by his spirit in his word. The scriptures come from God, like the rain and snow comes from heaven. Look at verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. You see, this is God's word. It, it comes from his mouth. It, it comes from his person. Just as the rain and the snow come down out of the heavens, so my word is coming to you from me. And then it goes on to say in verse 10, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, 
and do not return there, but water the earth, bringing it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so too God's word achieves his purpose. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God is declaring that he watches over his word. That word that comes from his mouth shall succeed in the thing for which he has sent it. It shall accomplish his purpose. So we can say that the Bible is the word of God. That is, it's God's words. It's what God wanted to communicate to us accurately, trustworthily, reliably, without the limitations and weaknesses that are associated with the human agency. That's why we can have more more trust in the scriptures than if we would have seen these things with our own eyes and heard them with our own ears. Because our eyes can't see the spiritual truths, and our ears cannot even fully understand what God is communicating. But God's word is true. So, what's the takeaway? What's the application? Well, first of all, that writers of Scripture were not limited by their humanness in any way. So that the limitations of any human being are not reflected in the scriptures. That's why they're without error. That's why they're infallible. That's why they are completely trustworthy. Because the limitations that are associated with human agency is removed. God spoke through them and by his Holy Spirit carried them to their destination. So what should our response be? Well, first, we should appreciate value and take heed to what the Bible says. Look at 2 Peter 1.19. Now, for the rest of this, we're staying in 2 Peter. And Peter 1.19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Again, we can rely on the scriptures more than eyewitness accounts. To which you will do well to pay attention. This is what you want to listen to. This is what you want to put your trust in. This is what you want to put your confidence in. As you think about the future, as you think about the promises of eternal life, as you think about the Lord's return, as you think about heaven and hell, as you think about all of these unknowns in life, and you hear so many people speaking, for it moves next into false teachers and false prophets. It's saying you're going to hear a lot of false teaching and you're going to hear a lot of false prophets and you're going to hear people actually make declarations saying that they had a vision or they were caught up into heaven. People write books about accounts that they have of near-death experiences. And people are going to tell you what they saw and what they hear. It says pay attention to this. Not what people are saying that they have seen and heard, but pay attention to the scriptures. Listen to them. Make them your sole 
and final authority of that which you believe, that which you trust in, that which you are going to use as your source of understanding about spiritual truth. Pay attention, give heed, give credence, devote yourself to the word. Secondly, we should accept and submit to the authority of the scriptures to shed light in dark places. Verse 19, as we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you shall do well to pay attention, now this, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, so that the word of God is compared to a lamp that shines in a dark place. We have used as our call to worship this morning from Psalm 119, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Well, we know what it is to be out in the dark at night and needing a flashlight to guide us, to direct us. Well, in the New Testament area, they didn't yet have flashlights, they didn't have bulbs, they didn't have um, batteries, they didn't have electricity. So what'd they do? Well, they put little lamps, actually, on their feet. And uh, they would light these lamps so that these lamps would provide light as they walked. They could see their, their way in darkness. So here, God's word is like a lamp unto our feet, a lamp that shines in a dark place. It sheds light where there is no light, where there is no understanding. So that God's word provides light, truth, in a world of darkness. We live in a fallen, dark world. And people don't understand or know the truth. And we have what the scripture refers to as blind leading the blind. That is people giving advice, wisdom, and counsel from their own understanding that's no any better than your understanding. They're in darkness. We ourselves are in spiritual darkness if we reject the word of God. We are flying blind, as it were. You know, when a pilot fl flies blind, that doesn't mean that their eyes are shut. It means that they don't have any instruments to navigate. For whatever reason, they're down, or they don't possess the instruments. If you aren't following the word of God, you're flying blind. You're just responding to your own wisdom, your own understanding, your own insight, your own take on things, and you're rejecting what God reveals and makes known to us in which there is no other way to know what he reveals. He has blessed us by giving his word. Understanding, as I said, where there is little or no understanding. In 2 Timothy 3.16, you don't need to turn there. I think most people know the, the passage. It says, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. We talked about it. It's God-breathed. It's imparted by God. And then here's the application. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, 
for instruction in righteousness. That it is reliable, it's trustworthy, you can use it. You can correct, you can, you can change misconceptions if you bring your understanding to submission to the word of God. It, it will correct you. It will guide you. You can use it for instruction. It's reliable. And it is so valuable that 2 Timothy says, all scriptures inspired by God is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, that is complete, fully furnished unto all good works, meaning that the scriptures are sufficient. Everything you need to know for life and godliness is revealed in the scriptures. You don't need any other source. You don't need to look anywhere else. Everything you need to know for life and godliness is contained in the scriptures. You don't have to be casting about. You don't have to be reading a bunch of books. You don't have to go to a a host of seminars in which people are standing and giving their take on what they have seen or what they have heard or what they have come to realize or understand. We have the word of God. The third takeaway is that we should accept and make the scriptures our ultimate authority until the Lord comes when we will no longer need that light. Look at verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. And now this, until the day dawns and the morning rises in your hearts. That morning star is the Lord Jesus elsewhere in the scriptures. Jesus is the morning star. And until he comes, until that revelation of his appearing, until that day, we have this word that shines in our hearts that gives us understanding. When he comes, we won't need the scriptures anymore. There there are not going to be any Bible studies in heaven. I don't know if you ever realized that, but no Bible studies in heaven. Then we will know perfectly even as we are fully known. But until then, until that time, we have God's word. And that word is sufficient until he comes. Then when he comes, then, then we will know, then we'll be understand, then the limitations will be removed and we will understand even as, as he understands us, which is a remarkable thought. But the point is, we don't need to be waiting for something better to come. There isn't going to be any new invention. Let me say this. Artificial intelligence isn't going to provide us with any information about spiritual things that it's going to be valuable, as is the Word of God. I have read that there are some 
preachers that are already starting to use artificial intelligence to prepare sermons. That's pretty scary to me. That's, that's uh, pretty sad. Our authority is the word of God. Nothing will replace it until he comes. So we should not allow anything to replace our trust and our authority in God's word because it is God's word. That's the whole point. When we read the Bible, we are reading God's word. What God says about whatever it is that we are reading. It's not limited by the human understanding, the experience, the situations out of which the human authors are writing for they are carried along by the Holy Spirit, driven like a boat to the place where God wants them to end up. They speak his word. They write his word. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us to have complete confidence in your word, knowing that it is your word. Uh, we thank you that you have revealed to us things that we cannot know in any other way. And Lord, uh, help us to value, to appreciate that. And Lord, to, to even limit our own desires. Or sometimes we would like to see and we would like to hear and we would like proof. But Lord, help us to realize that the word of God is more accurate, more reliable than any experience that we could have. For our experiences would be limited by our human weaknesses. When we have your word, we have the truth. So, Lord, let us prize that truth. Let us cherish that truth. Let us search out that truth and give us of your spirit so that we might understand your truth more fully. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.